Everybody, all right, pull your tablets, your iPads, your iPods, and your Bibles, and go ahead and turn to Nehemiah 4 as we go on. All right. This is a really, really, really cool and, and, and deep book. The journey of, of, of Nehemiah and, and where he's come from to where we're about to be is kind of correlates with the Christian walk. And, and, and God really reveals some stuff to me in Nehemiah 4 with a lot of the challenges that we're facing today. You know, and, you know, in Nehemiah 1, you know, we, we look at the circumstance and repentance. You know, he was in, he can recognize that, that his people were, were in captivity, that his home was broken. And he cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, forgive us. We've strayed. We've gone away. Now we have no home to go to. It's broken. He repented. Nehemiah 2, God called him out. said, okay, you got work to do. And then in that calling, there was obedience. Nehemiah sat there and said, okay, I'm going to take the task. You've given it to me. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to run with it. And then last week, as, as Alex touched on, is the following. He followed God's work, God's uh, directive for him, and then he started doing the work. And now we're in the midst of, and that's where we are at four. And they're starting to build the wall. They're starting to get things going. Things are progressing. And what happens? What happens when you go into, you start doing God's work? What comes up? What happens? Opposition. Ridicule. Doubt. Fear. We got a lot of athletes here. Mike, I know you coach soccer team. You, so, you coach soccer club. Ooh, am I okay? Is that me? All right. So I'll either talk real loud because I got a big voice. <laughs> um, but you got competition. You got opposition. When you're facing something and you think that the obstacle, you know what? Give me a cordless. We'll do the cordless. Shut this off. I don't think he approved. <laughs> so you face all of these obstacles. You know, as you're getting ready to coach a game, as anybody, you know, Madison's an athlete where she runs, she plays soccer. You come up against, uh, you know, say I, I'm six, two and a half, so I'm a big guy. But if I come up against somebody six, seven, and I know I'm in a wrestling match, things go into my head or I'm going to get killed, I'm going to get destroyed. I'm not going to get to see my beautiful wife again. My kids are going to be fatherless. Lord, help me. And honestly, it might sound a little cute and funny and all that kind of stuff, but that's what Nehemiah does here. If we go, we start in four. It says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even, in a, even if a fox walked on top of it. 
I correlate, I, I put a lot of things, I associate things visually. So anybody ever seen that movie, The Sandlot, with the baseball kids? You remember when the, you know, the, the team that came with the nice uniforms, they had their baseball field, and they're sitting there they're throwing jabs at each other, and the one kid goes, you play ball like a girl. Ooh, everybody stopped right then and there. So you got, right here, you got Sam Ballot basically hurling that insult. Boom. Now, our natural response, if you're going to come at me, what am I going to do? I'm going to come right back at you. Mm -mm. Nehemiah, what's his response? Pray. He prayed. Now, in his prayer, he acknowledged what these people were doing, that they were mocking. He didn't dismiss them in their prayer. <laughs> his response was to pray and petition God for mocking what God had set in motion. Nehemiah's job was to follow the directive God set before him and acknowledge that God was their protector and ask the responsibility of retribution be on him. Let God do the work of retribution. His next action was to continue the work that God had assigned to him. Let's go continue on in four. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves be, become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. In some translation, that word enthusiasm says heart for the work. It basically said that they went at it with everything they had. They went at it knowing that there was a goal to be accomplished. Now, how many understand that God's will is going to be done no matter what? Do we, can we agree on that? When, when the Lord Jesus told us how to pray, he told us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he started what you petition. He was acknowledging already that already what was going to happen. Your name is great, and your will is going to be done no matter what. Does God need you to do the work? No. He's going to get it done regardless. However, he desires you to be participant in the work. And if you're not, guess what? Somebody else is going to get it done. It's still going to get done. Does it mean you're going to see the, the end product of the work that's being done? You might. You might not. But you get to be part of the work. You don't have to be. You get to be. Big difference there. We don't have to come to church every Sunday. We get to come to church every Sunday. There are countries in this world where they have to sneak out midnight to meet in a small, dingy room to read one page of the Bible. And if they're caught there, they could be killed, captured, whatever. We get to come to this beautiful facility and, and listen to God's word spoken freely, listen to everything that, you know, is going on. We know our nation. We know, we know all the things that we're going through. Do you think God's surprised? Do you think God is sitting there going, whoa, that one took me by, by shock there. I, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting that one. Mm -mm. But what's happened this week? What's happened this week? I see a lot of people on Facebook going on this side, going on that side. 
What about Jesus' side? What about Jesus' side? What are we to do as lights of the world, as little Christ? That's what Christian means, little Christ. What are we to do in this world? We are to be lights and draw all men unto him. When you get dragged down and you start going, well, I hate this one, or this is why your sin is greater than my sin, or this is that and this is this, what are you doing to glorify God? Absolutely nothing. You're getting dragged down and you're getting confused. Our purpose is to put Jesus on high, draw all men unto him, and he'll take care of the rest. Our job is not the conviction. That's the Holy Spirit. Our job is to love like Christ loved us to the point where he died on a cross for people that would scoff him, for people that would ridicule ridicule him, just as these people are doing right now for Nehemiah. All right. It's pretty cool because when you do the work and you do it enthusiastically and you do it with all your heart, there's things that happen. Work gets accomplished. That's one. In that work, intimacy grows. Trust grows. Faith grows. The closer you draw to God, what happens? The harder the enemy goes to work and tries to throw obstacles in your path. And he will continue to do that. And as long as we allow those obstacles to take our focus and take our eyes off of, of what we're supposed to be doing, the enemy is winning. We're not going to give him that victory. Okay, we're going to seven. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guard the city day and night to protect ourselves. God, God's really cool. You know, in, in this whole midst of everything that's going on, you know, Nehemiah was steadfast. He knew that God was their protector. He knew that God was their provision. He knew that God had their back. He acknowledged him. He prayed. He encouraged. But they were also diligent. They didn't sit there and just wait to be attacked. They knew to be on guard. And we go to Ephesians, we know how to armor ourselves. We know how to put on the armor of God. For those that are walking in Christ, there is a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A sp- specific, uh, what's the instruction manual? A yeah, manual. There's a manual on how to do things. In Ephesians 5, it tells you how to put the armor of God on. You got to arm yourself. You got to be prepared every single day. Okay, bring it back to God's word. Everything, bring it back to God's word. Prayer. I can't. I can't emphasize enough. When we know something is is awry, our first reaction when somebody attacks us is to attack back. We're we are very quick to do that, but we're not quick to stop and pray and really center ourselves and focus on what God would want us to either learn in that circumstance, how he'd want us to respond in that circumstance, how he'd want us to react, how he'd want us to love that person that's wronging us. How do we acknowledge God in a situation where 
we just want to defend ourselves. You know, and in, in, when we get to that point, you know, we can start complaining and we start groveling. And the Christian walk is not one that's just going to be smooth. It's not one that's just going to, you know, be a nice, easy cakewalk, up and down, stroll down the boulevard, nice by the beach. You're going to face storms. You're going to face hills. You're going to face obstacles. You're going to get tired. You're going to get weak. You're going to get weary. You might take a step back or two, but you got to keep moving. You got to stay focused. You got to keep doing what God's called you to do. It's going to get more difficult the closer you draw to God, the more the obstacles are going to be put in the way. As we look in verse 10, it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they knew, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down and swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the walls in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. It says they started grumbling. They started getting tired. You know, they, they were anticipating getting attacked. But again, God in his, in his awesomeness and his holiness they knew it was coming. They knew what was happening. There were Jews that were living near the enemies that would come and warn, so they knew what was coming. Guys, we have a warning. It's in this book. We already know what's coming. We know that we live in a fallen world. It shouldn't be a surprise, but we know who gets the victory. We know who wins. If you don't have a clue, it's our side. It's the side of Jesus Christ. He wins. The ultimate battle's already done. It's taking place. It's won. We're in the midst of a battle now, but we already know the outcome. That's I, Going in knowing you're going to win, and that's 100% certainty, that makes it a lot easier to take on the battle, doesn't it? One of the plans was to send into confusion. I mean, that's, that's stated there in reference to they wanted to send the Jews into confusion, kind of chaotic, make them think about other different things, make them think about all, you know, get them distracted with this so they won't think about this. Um, where are we in the world today? We lost nine Christian brothers and sisters last week that were attacked from an evil being. Satan was at work. He was at work inside a church building. And what happens? We get thrown into confusion and chaos. We're talking about Confederate flags. We're talking about black and white. We're not talking about Christian lives being martyred. We're not talking about sacrifices that were made. We rather talk about, well, that offends me. That offends you. Let's do away with this. Um, I can't, you know, be associated with you because you're not my culture, you're not my ethnicity, you're not my background. That's where we're at. That's confusion. That's chaos. 
my brother in Christ, even though I've never met him, was killed last week. I mourn because of that. I mourn because a brother in Christ, doing what God has called him to do, was sitting there leading a Bible study of people that were getting into the Word, that were trying to grow in a deeper relationship with God. And at the time of that specific event, evil came in and said, you know what? I'm going to snuff this out. Who gets the victory? Who gets the victory? Jesus. Jesus. You know what? We're right now thrown into a state of confusion, but what happened in Charleston? What happened? You had Christian brothers and sisters walk on a bridge, arm in arm, hand in hand, praying. No rioting, no violence, but acknowledging, God, you are in control. You are sovereign. You are holy. We love you. And if your will be done, Lord, bring the rain because we could take it. That's our God. That's our God. That's what, that's what the walk is. And that, in Nehemiah, he had to bring it back to. He's like telling them, you know what? Where am I here? On 14, get to 14. He says, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies knew that we had heard of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work. But from then on, only half the men worked while the other half stood guard on, with spears, shields, bows, and coats of, malt, of coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on the work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I told, every, I told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help and guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. They were guarded. Does it mean that the work was being pushed aside? Does it mean that they stopped doing what God has called them to do? No. How do we guard ourselves? How do we armor ourselves? Breastplate, helmet, shield, sword. What's our sword? His word. Cut sharper than any knife. Depends on how you use it. If it's not sharpened and it's dull and it's not relevant, all it does is cause pain, hurt. But if it's surgical, if there's precision, if it brings healing, if it brings grace, if it brings mercy, if it brings love, is there a story of judgment in here? Absolutely. Is there a story of redemption in here? Absolutely. 
Does mercy triumph over judgment? In Christ, it does. I love it back in, in verse 20 when it says, then our God will fight for us. We have a God. We serve an almighty God that is all-powerful, that created everything, named each star one by one, formed you in your mother's womb, piece by piece, made you in his image, but we don't want to acknowledge him when we battle something. We don't want to give him the glory. We want to sit there and say, I'll do this by myself. We want to let pride get in the way. We want to be, you want to let the enemy get us defeated, get us in a sense where, well, you know what, somebody else will come along and do this. I can't do this anymore. Right now we have mission trips going on. We got Nicaragua. We have a team that goes twice a year. We have Brian over in Poland right now. They're being the hands and feet. They're doing God's work. Is it exciting? Absolutely. Because we get to see it come to fruition. We get to see the work being done. I'll tell you what, first time you go to Nicaragua, anybody can attest, is that nerve-wracking? When you're sitting there and you don't know any of the people, you don't know how you're going to be received, you're in a foreign land, you have enemies around that at, at an opportunity will take advantage of an opportunity, but you're doing God's work, and you acknowledge God as your protector. Even if something happens, does God still forsake you? No. If something happens to you, it's because God ordained it. He knows. He already knows. Nothing surprises him. Nothing surprises him. You know, what's our work today? Nehemiah had a wall. He had to build up. Today, we're in the wall tearing down business. We have walls of insecurity. We have walls of false gods. We have walls of the enemy. That as Christians, our job and our role is to tear those walls down. Jesus said in John 2, 19 through uh, 22, he said, All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. But what Jesus said, But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both Scripture and what Jesus has said. So our first step, our first step is breaking down our own walls. As in Nehemiah 1, we had to acknowledge where our circumstance is. We have to acknowledge that we are a sinful people, that we're a sinful being, unfortunately. Thanks, Adam and Eve. We're in a sinful state. But with repentance, with asking of forgiveness, with the grace and the mercy that's through Jesus' blood, we can be redeemed. Second step is we have to follow. Even the demons be de believe. They know that there's Jesus. Everybody can believe there's Jesus. Everybody can believe in Jesus. But are you following? There's a difference. I became a believer of Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old, 15 years old, excuse me, I did not become a follower of Jesus Christ till I was about 28 years old. Major difference. Third step is once you start following, 
and you are obedient to his call in your life, no matter what it be, and everybody in here has a call. You might not be called to stand up here and preach. Your calling might to be a one-on-one lifestyle minister to somebody that you can have influence over. Your ministry might be in your workplace, in your school. Your ministry can be anywhere, but you're called to it. Begin the work that he's called you to do. When you're working, do not forget the enemy will attack. Don't lose heart. Know that God is in control. He's awesome. God is awesome. I'm in awe of God every single day. I'm in awe of God. When Sydney was sitting there and announcing my, my becoming the youth pastor here, that, that month was such a whirlwind for Dawn and I. I can't tell you the, the kind of things that we were going through in that month. And some of you know the story, but we actually were called by my old pastor um, in Deerfield Beach and asked to come on board as worship pastor with them. That night, I was actually coming to Sydney to tell him, Sid, we love you guys, and you guys have restored our faith in what a church is supposed to be again. But I think God's calling us back into ministry. And he shared what's going on here. And it was one of those things where I wanted to be back in ministry for so long in a, in a bad way. But I, I, but I promised. I said, God, I will never, ever make it of my own doing. I'm not going to go apply anywhere. I'm not going to do anything that it's going to be of my being. If, if you want me back in ministry, you're going to call me back into ministry. And within the matter of a week, there were two opportunities staring us in the face. Now, does it mean one would have been better than the other? No, I have no idea, you know. But when I prayed about it and I said, God, you've called me. There is a work to do. I have a mission field right here in my backyard I have a church family that loves us, that supports us, that understands, and I feel seeks the heart of God in the way church is supposed to be done. And then I asked God, what is the wise thing to do? What would you call me to do? And he said, right there, there's peace for you. Stay. You're called here. Worship when you're planted. And that's what I did. And now I'm excited because I get to hear the testimonies of the youth that are coming here. I've gotten to go to Camp Kid Jam with some of the kids that are coming up. And guys, as a church, we have work to do. And the work is not isolated behind these walls. We have an entire mission field. You have government against the word. You have people that will mock you that'll come against you, that'll ridicule you for being in Christ. You see it every single day. Atheists have become more vocal. There's no such thing as God. And guess what? They're the ones getting the media play. They're the ones you see on NBC. You see them getting on, you know, all the websites. And that's what's being glorified. That's That's what's being told. We have a work to do. And the work begins here. The work begins here. We saw where there was, in Nehemiah 1, 
there was conviction. He acknowledged the circumstance. There was repentance. Two, he acknowledged the calling. He went out. Three, he started getting on the work. Four, now we're in the midst of confrontation. We're in the midst of the work. Let's do it enthusiastically. Let's go out there and not leave it in here what we've learned, but let's go out there and say, you know what? I serve a Jesus that loves you, that there is redemption, that there is grace, that there is mercy, and that you are welcome. Jesus sought sinners. He didn't seek the righteous and the people that were all up here. He wanted the worst of the worst, tax collectors, you know, and in those times, if you've done any biblical studies, tax collectors, ugh, they were the worst of the worst. But God had a place for them. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So as the band is coming up, we're going to close out with a celebratory song because guess what? Here's, here's the, the neat thing about this. Competition was based from the start. You have the enemy going against God. We know God wins, right? We face competition every single day. If you didn't have the obstacles, if you didn't have the opponent, would the victory be as sweet? I, I mean, I think of the Super Bowl. If Seattle never showed up and they actually handed the ball off to Marshawn Lynch, another story, but if Seattle never showed up, would it have been as sweet for New England to win that Super Bowl? No. So how much sweeter will it be when we have that victory in Jesus? Because we've done the work.